Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Um, last time we recorded, we didn't realise, but we also had that heavy kelpie rain again. So I wonder if we're going to get that this afternoon when we're recording. We sort of bring it upon ourselves somehow. Maybe, maybe the way because we've now got a new way of recording and. We sort of get into our seats. You sort of liken it's like a pilot. Yes. Um, I wonder whether we have inadvertently learned how to do some kind of rain dance. Oh, I see. Yeah, what? Uh, by the movement of getting down and... Getting in, because once we're in here, it's pretty hard to get out, which uh, which could be a problem because the dog's with us at the moment, so he may want to pour out. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. He's looking pretty chilled at the moment. What an image of two... Stiff middle-aged men. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with the dog. And we have just had a lovely lunch, haven't we? That was pretty darned good. We yeah, because we, we, we've been we recorded two today because you're going on your holidays. Yeah. And um, I'm around about the place. And yes, I took uh, I took you to a place that I went the other day for a lovely burger. And um, oh, it was amazing. It do was. You, do you think if we mention them, they'll just give us free burgers from now on? <laughs> If you listen to us and you work at the Crazy Bear Farm Shop in Stadhampton... Yeah, please remember us. Remember our voices. Remember these voices and the praise of your burgers. And, uh, yeah, just good God let us have more of them. It was quite weird because I I don't know exactly what Ben's going to cover today, but he did give me a bit of a hint that it was to do with paranormal food. So I hope there was no, uh, no kind of nefarious reason that you took me out for a burger. Very... Fairy. That is what we talk about. It's not just fairies. You you know, I love. I think of all the paranormal topics, fairies and I would say fairies and werewolves is uh, what I famously love. That's your favourite bits. I do love fairies a lot. I love fairies, and we have we have spoken a little bit before about fairy feasts, but yes. I wanted to expand that because I love the the idea of sort of paranormal and unusual food, mm. and. So I suppose that's a great segue of just getting into it. So because it isn't just fairies that um, present humans with food, but I do think the fairy stories are amongst the, uh, I guess, the most intriguing. So oh, we know you got a few of those. Yes. Oh yes. We know that fairy foodstuffs are mysterious. Eating or drinking within fairyland is widely accepted to be a way of ensuring that you cannot escape back to your home. And you take the fairy nature within yourself, and therefore you must abstain meals from visiting. I'm taking this from uh, this is a brilliant website, British when you, Fairies. When you say abstain meals from visiting, what does that mean? Uh, ab- abstain from meals whilst visiting. So if you oh, do visit you, you the, can't the fairies eat when you're there, you mustn't eat or drink. No matter how much they tempt you. No matter how much they tempt you. Got it. Um, and here are a few little tales that I found. Um, in the Hertfordshire fairy tale of the Green Lady, a girl working as a servant for the Green... So she's a fairy woman, Green Woman. Right. Is warned um, by, <laughs> by some fish in a well <laughs> where she draws the water not to eat the household's food. It sounds a little unlikely, doesn't it? But that is... Uh, uh, essentially, that is what she was told. I wish those fish had stopped carping on. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. But you see, she she did refuse the food. But what is odd 
is that the converse of this rule can be true. If you encounter fairy food and drink in the human world, refusing to eat it is a is the perilous thing. So um, there are numerous examples of the potential fatal consequences of what not accepting fairy hospitality is in this world. Mm. The ill effects may indeed be more to do with the offence taken by the not eating rather than what you're offered. So on the so that's a bit of a, a, a paradox. It is, and so you're never quite sure which way to go. Um, so you either offend the fairies. And, and they might do something terrible to you, or you eat them and you're glamorised. That's my f- the favourite word I've learnt from doing this. You remember glamour being put under yes. the spell of the fairies. Things are not what they appear. They are glamorised. Right. On the Isle of Arran, two men were ploughing um, some fresh land, and one joked that the fairies should feed them in recognition of their hard labour. They duly found a table laid at the head of the field... <laughs> but neither dared eat what had been provided because of, because the field had never produced any crops as yet. Oh, 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 can I just go back to their motivations? So they're ploughing a field, I guess, for themselves or to do jobs. Why well, would the fairies why, Yeah, Yes, I know. That is, that's very much the point. But I suppose what they're thinking is the fairies will benefit from this tilling of the land. Right. And for some reason, maybe the fairies could plant their, their crops turns out though that field never produced any crops because of their refusal to eat the food the fairies were so upset i I don't blame the fairy in that sense they're they're going along these these two humans plowing the field going oh we've done such a good job the fairies should reward us with some lovely food they go oh fair enough and they set up a table do you know what i mean with some really good grub on it and then the two guys go oh i'm not eating that I'd be offended if I was a fairy. The thing is, as well, though, that it's not recorded in that tale how big the food is. Right. Because, I mean, fair, they're small, aren't they? Oh, I see. So, yeah, it might be it might be a small spread, as they it, say. It could be a very small spread. But what do you, you know, I'm intrigued by the tales of what people do to you personally if you don't take the food or the drink. Right. Um, what do you, what do you, the worst thing would be like killing you, wouldn't it? That'd be the worst thing. That or, or kind of, you know, uh, eternal torture or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. take this story of the Devon ploughman who very kindly mended a fairy's broken baking peel. Don't know what one of those is. I was going to say, what's a baking peel? I don't peel? know. Um, but the fairy... But he mended it. He mended it. And some cider was left in thanks, which the man happily drank. Mm. The ploughboy, however, refused it, and he was pinched mercilessly, is is how it was recorded. (laughs) And I would imagine fairies have got pretty small fingers, so it probably wouldn't hurt that much. (laughs) I love that. Oh, I'm going to come for you. You you know how, um, like, when you go chasing, like, this sounds... You know when you're playing with small children, you go, like, little crab pinches, I'm going to come and get you. I imagine that's the fairies, but it's like... It's not a terrible thing to happen, but also... <laughs> I love that. We could do a whole episode on paranormal pinches. Oh, do you know what? I, I reckon I could... Um, you could muster something up? Yeah, 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 I think so. In comparison, in one Scottish account, a ploughman felt thirsty and, hearing a butter churn, wished out loud for a drink from it. A woman in green appeared and offered him some fresh buttermilk. 
He refused this because her clothing made him suspect her supernatural nature. She told him that, after a year had passed, he'd not be needing a drink at all, and sure enough, within 12 months, he was dead. So that's the worst right. thing that can happen. Again, it's another story of, you know, I guess it's a cautionary careful what you wish for. You wish for it, you get it, and then you go, I don't want it now. Yeah. So what's going on? <laughs> Take the risk. I, I love the I love the the very vague geographical references in this because um, that last one was from Scotland. A similar fate uh, befell a man from the Isle of Man, just you know, generally from the Isle of Man, right? Who refused to eat smoked meal porridge offered by the fairies, and he died as well. But he was given a countdown to that death. Really? Well, he, they were told he was told um, that. Uh, if he didn't, if he didn't take it, if he didn't take the porridge, he would die. Right. And had he asked for the porridge, or do we not know? Uh, he was rewarded with some porridge. Right. Okay. And uh, I mean, it's not much of a reward, is it? Those fairies must go. What are wrong with these bloody humans? <laughs> they wish for these things, we give them, and then they just no, oh, I don't want it. I don't want it. it. Outrageous. No wonder I would. Oh, I'm I'm with the fairies on this one. I think the the trouble with fairy food. And we have discussed this before, and this is goes somewhere. The trouble with fairy food is that it isn't what it appears. That's the that's the big problem yeah, with it. It's glamoured. So a man from Dornoch in Sutherland was taken by the fairies, and he, they made him fly with them. I don't know, but apparently he thought that this was a terrible ordeal, and to calm him down, they gave him beef, bread, and fish. But he complained afterwards when he'd sort of come around from the spell that it was all cork. It was completely made of cork. Mm. A Perthshire woman who was abducted by fairies said that the food she was offered looked very tempting. But again, when the the glamour uh, came away from her eyes, it was only refuse of the earth. It was plants. It was dried leaves. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, And... Unfortunately, a Scottish abductee. So this is interesting. So she was presented with a huge table, sumptuous foods, and she describes there's a whole ham. And and this is the weird thing. They appear to be, in this case, humans, you know, human, not human size, but the size you would expect for a human. Yeah. So you've got a big glazed ham. You've got puddings. You've got pies. It's almost like a Victorian... Feast, you've got milk in fish, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Sounds a bit like um, like those scenes in Harry Potter, isn't it? It is, yes, in the dining hall. It's like Harry's, uh, Ron's eyes. Yeah, are, whatever are, they fancy just appears. Exactly. Yeah. And she was so grateful. She was going to dive in, but she said grace. The grace removed the spell oh. and the whole table was horse dung. <laughs> all right well look, i know i when we started this i was kind of on the fairies side but is it do you think this is a result of the previous people who turned down the food and this is almost like revenge or was it always horse dung for everyone well fairy food is always delicious until it's not right and <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining a fairy restaurant with one of those hygiene ratings on the side. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two stars, mainly two to the dung. <laughs> <laughs> two, two heaps. Yeah. So those are kind of folklore 
stories, you can tell because there isn't any sort of very specific reference to who they are. It's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, a man from Birmingham once sneezed and saw a. Yeah. Also, the size variation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess you could argue that's all the glamour going on, but you know. But yeah. I, I wanted to get deeper into the whole food thing, and I discovered a wonderful source. Um, it's called a Trojan <laughs> Feast. The f- oh, yes. Sorry, like a, I didn't mean like to a Bionese. <laughs> <laughs> the food and drink offerings of aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch by Joshua Kutchim. Oh, that's a niche book, isn't it? <laughs> it's such a niche book, but my God, I that's admire brilliant. him for the two hundred and eighty pages. Oh, oh, that's brilliant. So the first. The first thing that really struck me was like because I thought these fairy, uh, this belief in the fairy food was very much indigenous to sort of UK and perhaps Irish culture, or perhaps Irish culture and therefore UK culture. Yeah, yeah. But he points out these beliefs are also reflected in the views of North American tribes. There's one called the Hader, um, and also the Cherokee, the Pawnee, and. Oh, Gosh, all things unpronounceable. The Simshian, I think that's pronounced. And they speak of um, a creature called the Buckwuss, or the Woodman, who entices passers-by to share the feast. Anyone foolish enough to do so is trapped in the spirit world, and they become themselves a Buckwuss. It's a good name, isn't it? A Buckwuss? Yeah, yeah, very, very much so, very much. Any, any, Any description of what kind of food's on offer here? Uh, no, it, it was. It is described as, as he puts it, um, a, a feast. So it is a, a tempting dish. Tem- temptation is coming up in my mind quite a lot as you're talking. It's, it's very. That's the cautionary tale, isn't it? Gluttony, temptation. You know, resisting your urges to binge at a feast. It's that. That seems to be the theme. It is because if you binge at a feast, it is all. Uh, it's it's like you're sort of sort of it's almost like personal avarice basically mm, yeah. yeah 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 well this this might get clearer because it isn't it isn't just fairies and uh bookwusses it's also aliens right consider the case of ivan martonovich I did that in one go. I can't believe I did that. That's very good. Don't draw attention to it when we get them right. (laughs) (laughs) He told his local newspaper that a tall stranger with grey skin and clear blue eyes took him aboard an extraterrestrial craft in September 1990. Martonovic's entry into the ship was sudden and imperceptible. He was shown a quick view of his life on a sort of screen. Isn't that weird? That's almost like a, um, a near-death experience. Mm. After which the beings invited him to their home world, and he enthusiastically agreed. You would, wouldn't you? And, <laughs> but this is where I would be disappointed. Once there, he marvelled at the alien's diet of milk and vegetables. Mm. Milk and vegetables? That's disappointing. This is what you do with them. <laughs> Carrots in a white sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he asked to try some, um, but it was forbidden by the extraterrestrials, who told him that eating their food was would influence him and he would be forced to stay on their world. Following a series of warnings about mankind's destructive behaviour, God, we hear that again and again, don't we? Yeah. He was returned home the same night, having not consumed a single thing. Not even a veggie kebab. 
no, 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 not at all. And- I'll tell you what, it's interesting while you're saying it. Because you, I mean, I guess it might be an alien cultural thing, but we've got such an association with food and drink as a way of, you know, reaching out to people, of bonding, of being hospitable, of, you know, breaking bread, let's say. Mm, mm. You know, and, but I, I don't think I've ever heard a alien story that's involved alien food before this one. I've got a cracker coming up. Have you? Oh. And, and I want you to keep in mind this idea of... I think you're getting close to what the theory is around um, this familiarity, right? right? Because food is very familiar to us. And particularly, why on earth would you go to an alien world and be given vegetables and milk? Yeah. I mean, milk would... I mean, unless we all have a very similar way of evolving on different planets, the idea of eating... um, Sorry, drinking the milk of another mammal on this planet it's a bit weird when you think about it. It's not weird. Obviously, it's not weird, but when you really think about it and go, yeah, I can understand why an alien might go, you do what with what? And, but are they saying it's... Were they saying it was cow's milk or were they going into detail? With the, veg, with the Just vegetables? milk and vegetables. Just no, no detail. Well, no, although there is... He quotes in a later paragraph that uh, I think he used the phrase something like disappointingly terrestrial. Right. You know, I think they've got, like, some radishes and a few carrots. You know, it's not... Maybe this is why they keep taking the cows. For burgers? No, I meant for the milk. Oh, for the milk. Oh, I see what you mean. So, so I, bear with me on this. The first time they visited Earth, somehow they tasted some milk and they were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, I'm with you. Next time you go to Earth, pick us up a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've heard crazier ideas. Yeah. I've heard crazier ideas. Yeah. And oh, I've just got to say, every time, every time I think milk, I'm just like wondering whether they do chocolate milk because you yeah. know my favourite thing in the world is chocolate milk. Right. Anyway, but what he does, he points out in the book that what his tale is such a weird combination of alien folklore and also the life review of um, what we hear from people who have had uh, a death experience, mm. that he sort of says, look, so either, and we, we've said this many times before, either the teller of this story is a liar mm. or he's a fan of folklore, yeah. and not just English folklore or Irish folklore, but he points out <coughs> world... <laughs> All right, Bear. He points out not world... not for you. They only <laughs> like the cows. Sorry, that was the dog, as you could probably guess. Sorry. I hope he didn't see a fairy. Yeah. Um, because he has a story that... Um, I won't relay the whole thing because it's very, very similar. But there is a story of a, a, a lost girl that happens in America. And she gets the life review. She gets right. She gets offered some food... When she eats the food, she stays for a bit and then she's given another piece of of what turned out to be human food, which releases the spell and she's back. But there's some very key similarities between Mm. what she tells about Martonovich and what she tells about the girl. I've said that name three times. I'm very proud of myself. But that also sounds a bit glamoury as well. It's incredibly glamoury. Because you're taken out of the spell by eating your normal 
human food. That that whole life regression, you know, your life flashing before your eyes is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And it's got... Because what you're talking about has connotations to do with near-death experiences and with, like you said, fairy and other folklore. It's odd. It is odd. And, and of course, what we heard there is that you um, you put a Christian message in there and everything's broken again Mm. so it's it's like there needs to be a distraction to take you away from your normal line of thinking you know but it's it's probably part of this um you know magic either with a c or a k that is bringing you into this world but here's the thing it isn't i mean we're going to come back to aliens because they're the best ones here but it's bigfoot's this he says this is the most famous testimony. I never heard it before, and wow. it's a cracker. And um, it's from a chap called Albert Ostman, who swore in a nineteen fifty seven affidavit that he was abducted by a Sasquatch thirty three years earlier. <laughs> Ottman worked as a prospector in a British in British Columbia, and was allegedly picked up and carried while asleep, sleeping bag and all. After three hours, he was unceremoniously dropped in a small valley surrounded by four Sasquatch that he presumed were father, mother, son and daughter. Over the course of a few days, he was fed sweet roots that he described had a satisfying taste. So interestingly enough, Ostman used um, consumables and also like uh, the things that he had on him to escape, you know, things that are sort of different to uh, the world that he was in. So he tricked the father into eating his entire can of snuff, the tobacco making the beast ill. And he then... <laughs> Not surprisingly. He also convinced the largest of the Sasquatch to down his entire flask of coffee. And he <laughs> said, euphemistically, that did no good. I can imagine... <laughs> I just got this vision of, like, these two Sasquatches going absolutely nuts. One high as a kite on snuff. The other one had so much coffee, it's running around like crazy. Yeah. I'll tell you what that's... I'm not sure he was running around. I think he meant a different thing. Oh, I see. The first coffee and cigarette of the day. Right, right. I think he might need to go and use the leaves, as they say in Sasquatch. If a Sasquatch... uh, Poos in the wood. Does, <laughs> does anybody, it still exist? Does anybody here? I, you know, when you were saying this story, you know what was going through my mind? I was thinking about Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yes. Too hot, too cold, just, just the right. The family, you know, the eating the porridge, you know, who's you know who's been sleeping in my bed. There's, there's certainly parallels with Goldie. Is that just me? No, I don't think it is. I... I think that's interesting, and that that sort of brings me on to some of the symbolism that is going on right, cause, here. Because if you if you just substituted bears with Sasquatch, well, yes, that's right. But of course, um, the in it's very interesting what you say because in Goldilocks and the Three Bears, the bears are out right when Goldilocks yeah, is yeah, there, yeah. but they appear only when she's sated. And in bed, which, yes. you know, there is an allegory there of... Oh, like a dream state. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, they're interesting, not in my notes at all, but That's very... Really interesting. Because she, she is sort of... She's consuming 
and then using the using the facilities. You know what I mean. I don't, this toilet is too tall for me. Two-star two reveal on TripAdvisor. Trip this toilet is just a urinal. Yes. Anyway. Um, um, the other the other thing that was going through my head, a bit of Alice in Wonderland was going through my head while we were talking about this, that connection. Yeah, which is, yes, we've had that come up recently. Which that came up recently. And the other thing is, you know, how bad was that Sasquatch food? You know what I mean? I've always heard they do a good prawn cocktail with Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> You've always heard. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what the rumours are. Sasquatch <laughs> dining. Their Mary Rose sauce is just to die for. <laughs> oh, i got to say, I went I went for somewhere for lunch yesterday. I, I, I'm not super rich. I just, we didn't have any food in the house. I went I went and got a jacket potato with prawns and Mary Rose sauce. Oh. I love it. That's my favourite. I love a prawn cocktail. I know it's it's a bit tacky these days, but I do love a traditional no, I, I, cocktail. I love it, but the tr- oh. thing is, it's school holidays, right? And it's six women's working in shops. What she actually gave me was prawns, and then she dolloped a load of mayonnaise over it. Oh, and I said, that's not Mary Rose sauce. And she looked at me like I just told her that she'd got very poor A-level results. And <laughs> You could have just added a bit of ketchup and made your own. <sighs> not quite the same. Six pounds for a jacket potato, Ooh. man. What? Yeah, six pounds. You were glamoured. <laughs> I was absolutely <laughs> glamoured. I ate it very grumpily. Yeah, I bet. But let's just... So the symbolism, I think, is important. Um, because the author points out that quite a lot of the time, even putting the Sasquatches aside, a lot of the time the food that is offered is bread or bread-like. Ah. Oh. comes back to breaking bread. It is. And bread has long been associated with fertility and rebirth. Yeah. Wheat dies and is reborn time and time again and has been tied to themes of renewal since ancient Egypt. Well, even, you know, the body of Christ is bread, isn't it? Well, exactly right. So um, stop reading my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For millennia, bakers in countless cultures have fashioned bread in the shape of moons, suns, genitalia representing reproduction and rebirth. Right. And this duality is well represented in the Christian Bible. The Old Testament associates bread with the fertility of the earth, mentioning it more than 20 times, while the New Testament, over 30 references, embraces bread as a central focal point of the Eucharist, offering eternal life. Bread symbolises the cyclical nature of existence in all its many forms. So, (laughs) what does that mean? Can I can I have a guess? Yeah. This uh, maybe I'm wrong, but this seems to be leading towards this is almost some. Um, I, I, I hesitate to use the word kind of mass hysteria, but it, it's almost like some human need that is being played out with these food encounters with either spirits or fairies or Sasquatch or aliens that which kind of maybe leans to it not being real yes and perhaps familiar right right so oh, keep, okay all right yeah. so so this is this is kind of this is where he starts to put this theory together right are we maybe dealing with intelligences at the boundaries of the internal and external the physical and the non-physical Entities so intelligent and foreign to us that they can only effectively communicate to us through symbolism and mythology. Right. So he uses, like, you talk uh, about the ants sometimes looking at the moon. Yeah. 
He says, certainly the family dog must consider the bulk of its owner's behaviour illogical and magical. Except, well, a few things, but the feeding time, right? Right. That is something... It's a bond. It's a bond. We all understand the feeding time. There isn't a single dog that doesn't look at its owners at dinner time and go, I want some of that, or remind you it's five o'clock and it's time for its dinner. Yeah. So he then goes on to say, and I think this is probably where we would go, modern science would write off such a notion as highly unlikely. It's fantastic, right, in, its, in, the, in the sort of truest sense of the word. The easiest course of action is for us to fold and admit the phenomena is wholly psychological. Which I just did, <laughs> didn't I? I did fold. <laughs> <laughs> I folded about halfway through. But I like your ants analogy and the dog analogy is really interesting because it's like yeah that would make sense but again i guess what's going through my mind is in alien encounters let's talk about that i'm surprised food doesn't come into it more often then stay tuned for the best alien food for you over here so so food does does come just i'll just finish that sentence because i just that just sort of closes that thought if you if you examine the data, he points out, it is difficult to conclude. It's hugely, it's highly psychological because the number of these cases involving multiple witnesses and the strong consistency of these phenomena across the world, yeah. he suggests something else is at play. So, just before I say what that is, I wanted to say, like in the extraterrestrial thing, quite often you do get this thing where people are forced to drink something horrible. Right. Um, like and they're always told like oh you need this for your own safety you need this to perhaps fly in the craft and that i think it's it associates with the medical persona that is quite often put yeah. forward by the aliens it's not you you don't when you see fairies there's the most common uh, example outside of like the farming examples and the interchange of presents and things like that is there is a fairy feast. The fairies are always having a feast. Yeah. There's singing, there's dancing, there's there's merriment, there's laughter, it's a joyful place. And therefore it's it's obvious that you would find a huge cooked ham. It'd be very odd to go onto an alien spacecraft and see a huge cooked ham. Mm. But so I guess it's that ties into the thing of making you feel comfortable and familiar and yeah, reaching out to you and yeah, just making you... So, so let's go with it. Let's say you are on an alien spaceship. Not the horrible food, but giving you nice food would calm you, wouldn't it? And I'm thinking maybe this is where the book is leading. I, I've got a feeling this is going to end up... These are not separate things. The fairy one's not separate from the Sasquatch. It's not separate from the aliens. It's maybe our interpretation of it. Are they all the same entity being from another dimension, whatever? Stop reading my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're telling the story so well. You're leading me. Extraterrestrial, spiritual or interdimensional intelligences which exist in other realms can interact with human beings by, for example, altering chemical compounds in the brain, right. which we spoke about the other week. Yep. DMT, yep. leading to altered states of consciousness. Alice in Wonderland all over again. <laughs> In order to facilitate these changes in neural chemistry, these entities often need to draw upon the human race's rich symbolism of food and drink, 
offering food mirages which elicit a change in consciousness in the observer. These simulacra are directly projected into the mind and become an extension of the entity itself. Like, so he uses the phrase, eating the god. This is a phrase that comes up um, in, in sort of shamanism and other religions, and you can attribute it to the Eucharist as well, right? right. This is the body of Christ. I, I'm also thinking you could also look at it a different way. Um, let's let's go with it. Let's go with these these entities. Let's call them from another dimension. Could it be in our kind of ant staring at the moon way? It's so much for us to comprehend that we have to create these uh, almost hallucinations of something that's familiar and calming to us, like food or comforting do you know what i mean food's a comfort as well exactly so it's the it's the, this the, this theater of the entity food is perhaps a way to ease the shock of encountering the unknown mm. and he has another interesting way of describing that so when we take measures to make animals at home in a zoo when we get the lions in we don't just put them in a car, you know box we try and recreate the savannah we try and recreate the watering holes and the earth pits and we feed them the way that they obviously they don't go chasing wildebeest but their food is thrown off you know a truck it's not it's not handed to them by a person yeah, yeah. and it's in its raw state that is what is normal to them and it eases the shock of them being in an environment where they're being stared at by humans it's like it makes them feel okay yeah. and this is the theater of this food but i think the interesting thing here is it's not the, the food isn't being presented by the entity and the entity isn't asking us to eat the food just to make us feel comfortable it is the encounter the food is very much mm. part of it's part of the cause and the effect of the encounter yeah almost because we talked about drugs the other week it's almost part of the trip let's say <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, the way of, but again, if that makes sense, it's it's reminded me of that scene in um, Contact, the movie, where Jodie Foster ends up, you know, talking to the alien, and it takes the form of her father. And they, and she says, well, why are you my father? Here? And she says, well, it's not your father. We just thought this would an image, this image might be more acceptable to you and make you feel calmer. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and there are there, there are alien encounters, or I would say non-human encounters, where um, something pretends to be another relative. Yeah, so they pretend to be the grandmother or something, but they just off. There's an uncanny valley about it, and they're off. Yeah. Which that, is like this, right? Well, it makes sense in a way, doesn't it? Because I was just thinking, you know, even the grey aliens, okay, they're not they're not perfectly human, but they are kind of humanoid-looking. Easier to accept that than, say, some creature with a giant head that looks like a hornet. <laughs> right. <laughs> or something that is... Uh, I liked his words... They're on the the line between physical and non-physical, right? And perhaps, perhaps we simply couldn't see them if they didn't find a way to connect with us at the human level, right? So they're not they're not as I think it was Star Trek or someone described it, humans as big bags of water, right? They're not right. big bags of water. 
would the ants really see us if we didn't do something? So they see us perhaps if we put some food down. Yeah. Um, they might even see us if we step on them. Yeah. If we just go around walking on our day, yeah, well, they, we, we don't... They, they ignore us or they, they, ignore, they can't comprehend yeah. us yet. No, no, yeah. exactly. Um, he does make this really interesting point, though, about... Because the other day we were talking about, like, whether the archetypes live in our head or mm. not. Yeah. And this re- relationship between food and paranormal um, entities, and it hadn't really occurred to me that he says... Lots and lots of paranormal entities sell us food every day. So Rice Krispies and Lucky Charms is oh, <laughs> fairies. Right. Um, the Mermaid on the Starbucks. Um, and <laughs> uh, this is American, so there's lots that don't make sense. But um, the Jolly Green Giant for vegetables. Um, yeah, what's that got to do with sweet corn? Uh, well... He was just very good at growing it. Yeah. And there's a lot of dung off a Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I saved my favourite, my favourite alien oh, well, food encounter. This. this, this is just, I read about this about three years ago. And I think one of the reasons I want to do this episode is just so I can contain this story. <laughs> there's lots of um, reasonable accounts of this story, but this was... Um, this was the one I like the most. It's from um, uh, a People's Tonight, which I think uh, an American publication. And this particular account was written by a lady called Vicky Verma, and I've just edited it for time because she's got so much, much of the detail in there, which was missing from some of the other accounts. Right. But it all starts with a gentleman called Joseph Simmonton, who's a poultry farmer, is 60 years old at the time of the encounter, and he comes across... A UFO. On April the 18th, 1961, Simmonton was having breakfast in the late morning in his home when he heard a confusing noise near his farm. He looked out of his window and was stunned after seeing a silver disc hovering over his backyard. The UFO was about four metres high and ten metres in diameter. That's quite big, isn't it? I mean, ten metres, it doesn't yeah. sound like a lot. Yeah. But that's huge because a car, I was thinking about this, a car is about two and a half three meters long maybe a big one is four meters long yes that's the size of a bus that's yeah it's really big when he stepped outside a hatch on the disc opened and three dark-skinned humanoid figures appeared the aliens were about five feet tall dressed up in tight clothes from head to toe the man said that one of the aliens had some vessel like a bucket and signaled for him to fill it with water don't know how he did that. He just maybe just like pointed to a tap or something. Also, it's like you've just travelled half the way across the universe and you've got a bucket. It doesn't. It's weird, that isn't it? It is really weird. Okay. But anyway, he takes the bucket, fills it with the water from the nearby pump, and returns it to the alien. He says the creatures looked nice, and they offered him four pancakes that had tiny <laughs> holes. And they're cooking these pancakes. I just want to be absolutely clear they cooked them they are co- they are cooking them they so he doesn't <laughs> they go into detail of this to get a little barbecue out they've them. got a flameless grill right they've got a, a <laughs> spatula and just while he's getting the water he peers in as an alien literally at a cooking station making pancakes on this flameless grill he's tossing them <laughs> 
Available from JML and all good stores. You know, the flameless grill from the JML. Flameless grill, too. It was perfect, isn't it? <laughs> God, the lengths we go to to put some product placement in this podcast is incredible. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at you, JML, for those glasses you're advertising on the telly at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, so the pancakes. So, they, so, so he's making hold it. Hold on, no, no I, need, I need to just get my head around this again. Okay, so let's. So the aliens it. arrive. Yeah. They it, land. They come well, out well, and they're say, hovering. You, they're hovering. Right, the thing, the hatch comes open. They come out saying, could you fill my bucket with water? He doesn't speak, he just intimates. So he knows he, they, they've got a bucket and he, he goes and fills it. Mm. While he's gone filling it, they get a flameless grill out and start no, making pancakes. No, no, he, he, when he hands the water back, he peers inside. Oh, and they're doing it inside. Right. Yeah, so it, he says they've got a dashboard, but right. next to it, they've got a cooking station. right. With a, with this this famously now flame, flameless grill, yeah. and he's got pancakes Available on it. in all good stores, and they're uh, bubbling. Wow! And he offers him four. He gives him four, and after he takes them, they close the hatch, and rise. Uh, he says okay. they they started the ship. I don't know. Ding 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 ding. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I don't know. Um, and- so, have you turned the grill off? <laughs> We're going. <laughs> And the craft sli- slowly rises, and uh, once it gets some distance from the ground, it flies away towards the south. And Simonton is left holding wow. four pancakes, and he says <laughs> his mouth and eyes are wide open. <laughs> but it doesn't just stop there. Simonton tasted one of the pancakes, but he wasn't impressed at all by the friendly alien's cooking. Mm. He said it tasted like cardboard, <laughs> and... He was like, he apparently was really disappointed. One of the pancakes was given to a local judge by Simonson, who vouched for his honesty and reliability. Another pancake was received by Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Oh, there were some tests. Oh, he's the um, Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, yeah. So there's tests. There must be tests. Well, I'll come on. Um, And the third one... Sorry, because it's making me think... Did they stop? Because he was a poultry farmer, right? You can't make a pancake without eggs. Well, not a human one. Well, you see, the testing was done at the Food and Drug Administration by the Air Force, who had the third pancake. The pancakes were made by entirely earthly products. It was it was wheat, it was you know, flour, right, eggs, milk, and eggs. Yeah, there was. They were just very poorly made pancakes. I what does that mean? I think I well I don't know what it means but I was <laughs> I was incredibly disappointed. And I think what makes it even better, what makes the whole thing even better and the reason what are the reasons I chose this story. I guess we'll have to maybe we'll charge putting it on social I don't think in mind but the illustration that they <laughs> When when she wrote this story, and it is the greatest alien food story I think I know. Pancake-based story. Could you just read that and draw it, please? <laughs> and and that's that's what the artist drew. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. Looks like um. So it's it's not bad. It's not bad quality. It's a good. It's a good painting, but at the yeah, the it, ship it, is. It looks like a man in that um, the the blue, what they call the blue men. Yeah, or or, or one of those kind of downhill skiers, skiers. Yes, yes. And he's handing over the FA Cup. 
Handing over the FA Cup and he's got a swimming cap on his head. He does. And the, there's no way that that craft is 10 metres. No. According to the scale of the humans. No. There. But, okay, if we went with it, I've got this other feeling that maybe this is what aliens do when they kind of visit Earth. It's like like when you're, you know, when you go on holiday and they say you've got to kind of embrace the local culture and eat the local food. Maybe they were, well, everybody down here eats pancakes. What do we need for that? We need some wheat, some eggs. We need, you know, so it could be a true story. Oh. And this poor old farmer has gone, yeah, no, these are alien food. And it's all because they were being, you know, eco-friendly tourists visiting Earth. Well, nobody doubts his, his veracity. In fact, he was visited um, more than once by um, Project Blue Book. And there's wow. a chap called... Um, Savino Borgo, um, who was an insurance agent and therefore was, you know, relatively trusted because, you know, just yeah. his line of work. And he saw the flying saucer at the farm. Right. He he testified that he did see it. Wow. So so it wasn't it wasn't one man's mad ramblings, but it's that disappointment. It reminds me yeah. it's it's similar to the fairy food in that yeah. You know, it's not quite having the glamorization, but still. Yeah, it's not what you were expecting. No, when you're giving pancakes like that, you just go, oh, they're going to be made of satin dust. Or... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I, like, I like my theory, though. That would be the ultimate irony, wouldn't it? It was actually all happened as planned. It just meant that they were making food that the locals ate. And so it would come up, you know, testing as normal. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Like, although the flameless grill is bothering me. <laughs> I mean, I think he means a grill. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is nineteen sixties, so yeah, yeah. I suppose a flameless grill might have been. I mean, it's obviously electric powered, but I think this whole. It could have given them some eggs before they went, couldn't he? That's what I do. Yeah. Have some eggs. Go on, you've given me your pancakes. That's what you do, isn't it? You've given me some of your food, I'll give you some of mine. There are there are older tales which aren't purported to be UFOs, but you remember when we were talking about like the airship flaps yeah. and such? And there is a story about an air balloon. Uh, sorry, well, it's an airship. It's, a, it's an inflatable, clearly, that um, drops anchor over a village yes, that's right and then somebody comes down the anchor and starts suffocating that's right yeah. but they they take they take some beer with them so they don't leave with they don't leave any food they take some beer right so this that is an interchange sort of both ways yeah. and again that is the same here with the aliens asking for the water yeah it's like are we going to make a cup of tea with this so it's different to the sasquatch and like that earlier alien one where he's taken to the home world where it's like simply, no, you can't have it because, or you should have it because of our right. nefarious means. This is just, this seems like, oh, thanks for the water, mate. Have some pancakes. See ya. It's making it sound like these aliens are all on like RVing holidays, doesn't it? <laughs> They're on camping trips to, Bri to, the, to the earth. I mean, I just, I just like the idea that he's just like, they've got one greedy friend with them. He's like, oh, I'm so... I'm so cooking. My wife never allows me to make these pancakes. Like, Stan, your pancakes are terrible. Everyone says they're terrible. Like, give them to that human. I don't want them. I like the idea as well as if it is made up that they've gone, how can we make these pancakes weird? Six holes in them. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so the re- I think the reason he says they got little holes in them, because I'm imagining them to be, you know, like those little Scotch pancakes, which have, but wait, because when you cook them, the batter, oh, you get holes. Yeah, bubbles. Yeah, bubbles, yeah. yeah. I think it's like that. They're sort of rising. And so I think he's trying to point out, if I read between the lines, that these things were made on the griddle they're not sort of a factory thing yeah yeah or yeah, like that yeah. they're sort of fresh off the off the off the pan unless Zorgo had eaten the blueberries before handing them over to him well that's the thing you want blueberries you want syrup you want yogurt yeah yeah that's the sort of thing you want yeah and like the fact that he ate it and nothing bad happened and it was it was tested and nothing bad happened my main disappointment is in modern days you could pinpoint the origin of that flower. You'd be able to tell which part of the world yeah, it came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. They obviously couldn't do that then. And that would have been brilliant if if we'd have been able to test it. Yeah. If it come from a different continent or something. Yes, and we don't import that flower. That yeah, would have yeah, been... Because yeah. then we'd have got into, well, that sounds like breakaway civilization stuff. That sounds like the aero club myths around the flying yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the airship flaps yeah. that sort of that sort of thing um that's a great story though oh yeah it's just my favorite like if i'm going to meet aliens i don't want a probe up the wahuna no i don't want to be taken away to witness horrible things the stuff that we have encountered yeah alien hybrid reproduction stuff but maybe a nice little picnic couple of ropey pancakes would be do that do for us i'd like a i'd like a um uh perhaps um a a pork uh, what do you call it a pork pie pork pie yeah and then they go it's made with our own pigs you know what from from suffolk no no from 20 billion light years away (laughs) yeah yeah and we'd go it's nice not as good as a Sasquatch prawn cocktail, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this, because while I was tra- trailing, tracking around with this, I found loads and loads. Pretty much all the stories are the same uh, kind of thing. We covered the one where there was the man who, w- one piece of alien, uh, sorry, one piece of fairy, um, uh, uh, I guess, um, evidence was taken. We covered the guy who got the cup and the cup went to the king and all of that and it's got lost. And, and, and we did the one where he had a sandwich and stuck it in his pocket and it was leaves. It was leaves. Yeah, they're all yeah, that. That's, yeah. They're all that. They're all that story. But I found this one that was written by um, a traveller in... So it's from a traveller's blog <laughs> um, in Thailand, written by an American who's got relations in Thailand. And I just, this really sticks with me for what we've been talking about with the symbolism. It's very short. It just says, um, in my own personal experience with family members um, in Thailand in general, I've um, typically seen individuals leave rice or sticky rice, fruits, bananas, oranges, etc., alcoholic beverages at altars, but most specifically red Fanta. The use of red Fanta is a more contemporary and recent trend the soft drink provides a humane substitute for antiquated forms of sacrifice and the ritual use of animal blood. Because yeah, of the colour. Yeah, and he says, that's right, one of the most popular soft drinks in Thailand isn't consumed by the living but left in spirit houses oh, on altars for the dead. It's fascinating. And that idea of... Because that is a trans... Sort of trans-dimensional... 
interaction using food but coming from a human perspective so rather than so trying to communicate with the gods to look after the ancestors you go well red fanta is as good as blood and that i think really ties back to the author's idea that it is more than just trickery Mm. it is about a communication a connection and a connection and it that is the food is the conversation and i think that is the important thing there i I keep thinking that if you're in the fanta marketing department we'll give you this one for free fanta drink of the gods Because you, they, you know, you'd be all right because you could say, "Well, it is because it's left out for the gods in Thailand." Well, it is. It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, don't say. Don't use blood. Don't go red no, fanta. I, no, it's I, as good as blood. No, the marketing department would never sign that off. But um, no, I think you're right. I think this symbolism of food in all cultures, really, isn't it? Like you say of. You know, I'm, I was thinking when you were talking about leaving the Fanta for at the temples, and I've seen it when I was in Japan, people doing similar things. You know, the Harvest Festival's a bit like that, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's that. Oh, it's 100% yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's all that. So you can see, I guess you can argue that two ways, can't you? You can argue it, this kind of premise that the author's gone for, that there is some kind of either spiritual or interdimensional connection which is why this link exists or you could just say food is so important to us that it almost takes on a spiritual and religious significance so maybe these experiences are an expression a hallucination of that yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and i think that it's it's one of those where if we if we think about it in the normal terms of well food is just food then we'll never get to an answer. Yeah. If we start thinking of it as part of this language, this this song and dance that we appear to be having with the paranormal mm. and all those elements that you were describing there fit into that. Yeah. Then we might have a better understanding of what it is. And yeah. of course like, I think there are other things that you could be saying. I would imagine, because I was thinking this, it sort of fits outside the same story, but we did cover it a little bit when I spoke a couple of weeks ago. Because if you say um, you eat a magic mushroom and you get to speak with other deities, that mushroom itself is the communication. Right. A little bit like the ayahuasca right. there. The ayahuasca consumption is... It's the first part of the communication. It knocks on the door. It's it's the it's the telephone. It's the Zoom link. That's right. That's it's, right. It's the, it's the thing that allows the link to happen. And maybe when you meet the fairies, rather than starting with the Zoom link, they're handing you their mobile phone to read a text message. Yeah, that is taking yeah. the analogy way too far. But you yeah. know what I'm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. And of course, as soon as um. I start thinking about eating mushrooms. I'm, I don't know if you noticed on the way back from our lunch, they're playing Christmas adverts already in no, in know. August. Yes, they're advertising Christmas food oh my at the re- local restaurants. Um, oh. But I was reminded, of course, my favourite thing about mushrooms and the Santa myth is that perhaps 
um, people used to drink reindeer urine after they had right. drunk, uh, they had eaten the mushrooms yeah. to enable them to fly yes. like the reindeers. Yeah. Yeah. And every time I think of mushrooms, I always think of flying reindeer. <laughs> but anyway, I think if, um, if you do meet a fairy, don't eat the food. If you do meet an alien, maybe try the food. If you meet a Sasquatch, maybe you always have some snuff and some coffee yeah. and some loo roll. I'm I, I'm with you on that summary. Apart from, I'm still struck with if you meet a fairy, I would say don't eat the food or do eat the food because either way you're screwed. They'll attack you or maybe pinch you. Yeah, that's fascinating. That that well, that was that was a a, a rich vein of it was a feast, Ben. That, <laughs> that, that was a feast of a podcast. That was really interesting. I love that pancake story. That's going to stick with me, I think. Something a bit Jeff the Talking Mongoose about that. I think when the paranormal gets ridiculous... And funny, yeah. Like you did Ridiculous Ghost, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Yeah. I think sometimes whatever is causing this just gets frustrated and just decides to have a joke. That's why you end up with Sam the Sandown Clown. Sam the Sandown Clown. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, wow, that was really, really good. Um, <laughs> once again, now I've written my Tulpa Project mu- music. We've got nothing this week because we're recording on the same day as I was talking about it earlier. Well, let's let's play it under us, reminding people where they can go. Okay. Yes. All right. So, uh, cue the music. Uh, if you want to go and check us out uh, and become a Quantum Mechanics Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash tqm pods where you know we continue to put episodes up there a little bit early and um we give little details of what we're working on and various other bits get the artwork a bit early so you can have a look and guess i've started doing that have you noticed that ben i put the artwork up on patreon a little bit early but yeah. don't put a description because it's like oh i wonder if people are guessing what the episode's going to be about so anyway check us out patreon we'd love it if you did and we really appreciate those who've already joined patreon.com forward slash TQM pod lovely lovely job and um if you've ever been offered food by anybody or any strange entity yeah i'd love to know yeah. and of course of course we're still indebted to ruth roper wild for the trans-dimensional sausage yeah we'll never forget the trans-dimensional and, sausage and the and the ghost sandwich so yeah food in all its forms maybe you have seen a phantom cornetto and if you have uh, let us know if you licked it. I, <laughs> I, I just, I just went all Homer Simpson then. Mmm, <laughs> Cornetto. I know the chocolate ones are the best. Oh, I like the mint ones. Anyway, we'll be back next week with more quantum mechanics weirdness. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. the quantum mechanics.